All right, Genesis 24. Uh, if, you like, if you like romance stories, you're going to like this chapter quite a bit. It concerns finding a bride for a bachelor. The bachelor is Isaac. Now, you remember who Isaac is, right? The promised child. Uh, God promised uh, Sarah in her old age to give this child. And by Genesis 24, several years have passed, and Isaac is now a confirmed bachelor. In fact, he's 40 years old at this time, according to Genesis 25:20. And, uh, but Genesis 24 is much more than a romance story. It shows us clearly the providential guidance of God in the events of life. And since this is, this is the longest chapter in Genesis, 67 verses, we're not going to read every single verse. I know this is uh, something that uh, in this kind of preaching that people don't forgive you for. But we don't have, we're not going to do that tonight. But I think you'll get the picture with what we do look at. Tonight we're going to watch the providence of God at work in, a, in obtaining a bride for Isaac. And as we do so, we're going to consider four observations concerning God's providence. The first is confidence in God's providence. Confidence in God's providence, that's in the first nine verses. Stephen just read those verses. I'm not going to reread them. Basically, Abraham is getting older in verse 1. He's about 140 years of age at this time. And God is fulfilling the promise to him to, to bless him. Look at the, verse 1. It says, the Lord blessed Abraham in every way. But there was still one way in which he was not blessed, and that was in the matter of grandchildren uh, from Isaac. And the, that's because Isaac is not yet married. So Abraham calls in his chief of staff, his number one servant, uh, and his large household. Remember we read earlier of 318 servants in Abraham's household. And now the, the person he's speaking to is his most trusted servant, the, the one that manages his whole household. And whether or not this is Eliezer from Genesis 15, we don't know. It doesn't say. It doesn't even say his name. But it leads me to believe this is a different guy than Eliezer, or it would have said his name. Uh, it could be he passed away. But nevertheless, whoever this is, if nothing else, he follows in the spirit of Eliezer, this particular uh, servant. Because this guy, if you read Genesis 24, and I encourage you to read the whole chapter when you get a chance, this guy is intent and serious about the business of his master, of carrying it out. Abraham has this important mission for him to carry out, and he will look to no one else but this guy who will follow his instructions very carefully. By the way, if you, are, if you want to get something done, tell me if I'm right about this, Jim. If you want to get something run, get, or get something done, get somebody you can count on to get it done. He knows this from his business. Now, to underscore the seriousness of Abraham's, uh, of this mission, Abraham has his servant swear an oath. That's what you, that strange custom you see, placing the hand under the thigh in verses 2 and verse 9, that involves a solemn pledge to carry out the mission of, of finding a bride for Isaac. Very important mission. Maybe we can liken it to, to uh, placing our hand on the Bible and our court system today in the, in the, in the, as far as the seriousness of the matter is concerned. But this oath has to do with the continuation of Abraham's offspring. And so they, he, he, he makes them swear, hey, make sure you get the job done on this. Now, there's two parts to Abraham's instructions. Uh, as he says, I want you to go to uh, my family and get a bride. The first part of the instruction is a servant is not to get Isaac a bride or a wife from the land of Canaan, where he lives. That's where Abraham lives right now. Why can he not get this wife from Canaan? Several reasons, probably. First of all, the Canaanites are under a curse. You remember Genesis 9.25? They're under the curse of God. Well, you don't, he doesn't want his daughter to marry someone who's under the curse of God. That's obviously. 
And then secondly, since Isaac is to inherit this land of Canaan, this is very important in this chapter, he doesn't want to marry someone from a country that's going to be disinherited from the land of Canaan, that is the Canaanites. And thirdly, we all know that, forbidden, uh, that marriage with uh, Canaanites is forbidden in future passages. Uh, and so he can't get a wife from Canaan. Now he's got to go to a faraway land, to the land where Abraham came from, or where Abraham stopped along the way in Haran. He's got to go to his relatives and find a wife there. Isaac must marry within his own family, and that's all it says about the matter. Now, the servant does, one ra- does uh, ma- uh, raise one major objection. Look at verse 5, after he's told this information. You want me to go get this woman from your family to be a bride for Isaac, verse 5, he says, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land of Canaan. Should I take your son back to the land where you came from? Verse 6, Adam, Abraham was very adamant in his reply. He says, Beware that you do not take my son back there. Don't even think about it. Under no circumstances are you to take my son Isaac out of the land of Canaan back to where we came from. Don't do that. Verse 7, basically to paraphrase it, he says, The same God who took me from my homeland and brought me to Canaan, he can take care of it. He'll, he'll be successful in getting a wife for Isaac. Now, Abraham does release his servant uh, from the oath on one condition. If the woman, the servant's concerned, well, what if the woman doesn't come back? If the woman doesn't come back, doesn't agree to come back, okay, you're released from your oath. But let me ask you this question. Is Abraham on the fence about whether or not this is going to be a successful mission? Is he wondering, or is he just going to give it the old college try, maybe cross his fingers, uh, take his best shot? Is that what's going to happen? No, absolutely not. Look at the supremely uh, confident statement Abraham makes in verse 7. He says this, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land of Canaan, He will send his angel before you, servant, and you will take a wife for my son from there. Can God pull this off, this strange request, to go to the faraway land and find a bride? Can Can he get the job done? Can he get a wife for Isaac? Well, that depends upon whom you ask. If you ask Abraham, the friend of God, you're going to get a resounding yes. Yes, he can do it. He can definitely do it. The only reason he gives his servant this exception clause is to relieve his mind servant's thinking well what if this doesn't happen so he gives him a little bit of an out but abraham knows himself he knows himself he's convinced that god will do this that god this is actually god's will god made a promise to your descendants i will give this land make sure isaac stays in this land of canaan to fulfill that promise and if abraham is to have descendants in this land of canaan he better get a wife for isaac who's now 40 years old he cannot marry a Canaanite, so he's got to go elsewhere to get it. This, is, this plan, this is the plan. In fact, it's, we're going to see it as this narrative unfolds. This is God's plan. It's God's will. Can God fulfill his promises is the question. Can God accomplish his plan through his providence? Oh, yeah, he's quite capable of doing that. Abraham is confident, even if the servant has some reservations about the mission. Well, I'm not totally sure. The servant says, Abraham says, I'm totally sure it's going to happen. Now, there's an old song. I don't know if you ever heard this uh, gospel song entitled, God Leads His Dear Children Along. Anybody ever heard that? And I, I, do we really believe that? Do we believe that God leads 
those of us who are children along through our life, do we believe that God is providentially guiding our lives, superintending, superintending our lives, the events of our lives day by day? Do we really believe that that is the case? You know, we look at our circumstances, sometimes we wonder, what is God doing in my life? We, we, can't, we may not sense his providential working at all. Or as Jesus said to the storm, when he was in the storm with the guys, and the guys were questioning, hey, are we going to make it in the storm? And he says, where's your faith? Where's our confidence? Do we really have confidence in God's providence? Is it in Christ who's able to control the winds and the waves? Or do we look at life as just a series of random circumstances, accidents that happen to us? Did you notice what Abraham said twice? Look at verse 3. He says, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. We're talking about the one who rules the universe. Verse 7, he says, he's the Lord, the God of heaven. He's the one who providentially guided Abraham all the way from Ur of the Chaldees through Haran, all the way down to Canaan. He's the one who did that. Abraham knew from experience that God could do this. And he's got this unwavering confidence in God that God will get it done, that God will be successful in this mission that he instituted. The Lord's going to see to it that his promise of many descendants is going to come true because he's going to guide his servant providentially uh, to obtain a bride for Isaac. And each of us must examine our, our, our lives as we look at this chapter and if we're, ask ourselves, are we really placing our confidence in God? Do we really believe that he's going to lead us? The Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. Secondly, there's dependence on God's providence. Dependence, verses 10 to 27. Look at verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master of of his master is in his hand and he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at even time the time when women go out to draw water <clears throat> now we're going to find out what the servant of Abraham thinks about the providence of God does he really believe this well the journey begins though almost next to nothing is mentioned about the journey itself, uh, but the servant had a long way to go, you see. His destination is near Haran in the Mesopotamia region that's heading north. That's over 500 miles away. This is not, this is not a simple journey, not an easy task at all. Uh, and, there, and it appears from verse 32 that there are other men traveling with him in this journey. So this takes commitment. It takes uh, perseverance. In fact, they say the journey would take about a month the guy talked about uh, traveling through the jungle here. This would take about a month to complete this journey. Uh, they're taking 10 camels with them. Now, for Abraham to have this many, uh, many camels, so many he can take 10 out of them, shows he's got great wealth, and they take other gifts as well. Now, after the long journey, they finally arrive at their destination, and obviously the camels are thirsty. Uh, so they make the camels kneel at a well outside the city. Do you have the uh, pictures of those back there? Yes, good. These are camels kneeling uh, over there, and that's what it looks like. And then there's another picture there, hopefully. That's not it. There's a third picture. That's the picture I wanted. <laughs> These are two professional camel jockeys. They're Israel's, two of Israel's finest, by the way. And uh, when we went to Israel, I can't think, a couple years ago, uh, we were able to ride camels for a while. And if you want to know about camel riding, ask these two guys. They know all about it. There's a custom mentioned in verse 11 
uh, that everybody knew about. When, when it was the evening, the cool part of the day, young women would go out to the well. They'd uh, get uh, water to supply for their family. They'd draw water from the well. It's during this time that the servant decides, I need to pray about this situation right here. No matter how tired he is from the 500-mile journey, no matter how thirsty he is, this servant has one thing on his mind. Let's get the job done for my master, Abraham. And I'm concerned about the mission. And so he prays. Look at verses 12 to 14. He said, O oh Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master, Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now he first confesses that the Lord God is the God of his master Abraham, and he ties his prayer in with all that with Abraham. Why does he do that? Because he knows Abraham is blessed of God. He knows that. He knows that Abraham is the human agent behind this mission. He knows Abraham has confidence in, in this mission, confidence in God, confidence in God's providence, and he will too. He, and he, he, you see this in his prayer. He, prayer. he prays this in verse 12, please grant me success today, or literally, and I like the literal rendering, cause this to happen before me today. Cause it to happen, Lord. Cause what to happen? Cause his answer to prayer to happen. He just prayed. He wants God to cause his prayer to be answered. Now, we, we can see now he is dependent, totally dependent. We wondered at first when he thought, when he said, well, what if this doesn't work? And God says, and Abraham says, this is going to work. I'll give you an out if you want it. But now we see he's absolutely confident in God's providence. He's praying, and he wants to witness this before his very eyes. And so he says, cause this to happen before me today. So even in the prayer of Abraham's servant, we can see God's providence working. He knows that only God can make this happen. I mean, he's 500-plus miles away from home. He's searching for this particular bride. How's this going to happen? And so he prays this way. He prays that the Lord God will show loving kindness to his master Abraham. That word loving kindness is key to this passage. It's used four times. Uh, verse, verse 12, verse 14, verse 27, verse 49. It's translated differently as deal kindly. Nevertheless, it's used several times. We've talked about this, this word before in Genesis. We'll talk about it again because it's scattered throughout the Old Testament all over the place. What is loving kindness? It's God's loyal love to his people, God's faithfulness to his people, God's kindness and mercy to his people. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's something that's ingrained in his character. It's who God is. He deeply cares for his people. Abraham makes his, or, or the, the servant makes his appeal to God on that basis. Oh, for your loving kindness sake, Lord make this happen. We should always ground our prayers in the, in the character of God. We should always, that's how we should pray. We can, we can pray for our needs. We can make our requests. Why? Because we know who God is. We know who we're praying to, and he's invited us to do that throughout the scriptures. We can trust in God because we know his character. Always depend upon that in your prayers. Think, who am I praying to? I'm praying to the Lord God who can answer prayer, who's faithful to me. And notice how specific his prayer is. Verse 14 he says, hey, if I, when, I, when I go to a woman, one of the women in the well, and I say, give me a drink, and she says, okay, I'll give your camels a drink also, then I'm going to know that's the one. Now, that makes the prayer, the answer to prayer, more difficult. He made it far more difficult. Wouldn't it have been easier for him to say, Lord, 
show me which of the women at the woman at the well are, is the one you have for Isaac. Just point her out somehow. Um, several women are coming to the well. Look at verse 13. The daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Well, how is he supposed to know which one it is? It could be anybody. That being the case, he asked the Lord to answer him specifically, and uh, so he can know who it is. Because you know what? He's going to ask a woman at random. He has no clue as to who this is. But he's praying that God will lead him to the right one. Now, to appreciate the difficulty of this request, this prayer request. By the way, our prayer requests are not usually this difficult. But to appreciate the difficulty of this request, under, we must understand what's involved in giving, giving camels water. They've just come from a long journey. They're thirsty. And uh, camels are known for their ability to carry a large res reservoir of water in their body. In fact, they say, depending on the level of thirst, a camel can, a typical camel can drink 25 to 30 gallons of water in about 10 minutes. I've read up to 53 gallons of, of water in three minutes. I've read that estimate as well. But the point is, <clears throat> they can carry tons of water and drink it very quickly. 25 to 30 gallons of water, we'll say. And think about this. <coughs> the jar Rebecca is carrying was two and a half gallons to three gallons. Think about that for a minute. Now, as for the well, one good source I read that a lot of people, uh, quote, said this. The ancient well was a large deep hole in the earth with steps leading down to the spring of water. That means every time a woman went to fill the, uh, her jar up of three gallons of water, she'd have to climb, go down those steps, a good deal of effort, and then come back up carrying that three gallons of water back and forth. And there's 10 camels to water in this case. One estimate states that there, if that, that there could have been 80 to 100 descents into the well. If this, if this woman decides to take up this task, not to mention the woman, like I said, she had to carry all that weight. Think about it. She's going back up those steps, too, not just down, back and forth. And they say it could, it could have taken her two hours or more to complete this task if she takes it up. Now, what woman in her right mind, knowing this, Re Rebecca knows this information. Okay, she already knows what this is going to take. What woman in her right mind is going to take this guy up, this stranger, she doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know he's related to Abraham. She doesn't know anything at all. What woman in her right mind is going to take up this offer from this stranger? But the woman who would do such a thing, that speaks volumes of her character. This is, by the way, guys, this is the, this is the single guys, this is the girl you want to marry right here. She is uh, a woman who would, who would do that uh, as one who shows great kindness, uh, great perseverance, great uh, hospitality, unselfishness. Boy, that's who you want, right? So the servant makes answered prayer very difficult. Now, if the, if the Las Vegas odd makers were involved in here, they would say, this is a long shot. This is a long shot. But the servant prays in verse 14 that the woman he finds will be the one the Lord has appointed. you see the word appointed in verse 14? That's the one he's, he's appointed. Again, a word indicating God's providential working. The servant believes, as does Abraham, that the Lord has appointed a particular woman to marry Isaac. Now, I don't advocate putting out a fleece when we pray, like, uh, like he did here, basically. We have something that Abraham's servant didn't have. We have what? The completed word of God. We have that now. He didn't have that. But the point I, he didn't have any of that. But the point I'm making now is that prayer works hand in hand with God's providence. It's an important element of God's providence. 
I had a guy one time, well, we had a guy at the church one time who, who told me in my Wednesday night Bible study, uh, as I said, it's time for prayer requests. He says, why are we praying? We don't need to pray. I said, why do you say that? Well, God, God already knows what's going on. He's going to take care of everything the way he wants to. Hyper-Calvinism. I said, no, that's not how it works. God's providence, providence works hand in hand with, with prayer because, you know, God is at work providentially, yes, but he still wants us to pray. He wants us to depend upon him, him in prayer. He wants us to seek his guidance in prayer uh, as we look through the scriptures because prayer demonstrates we are totally dependent upon God, and that's part of his providence. Look at verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, the servants was, had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the, to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly lowered her jar to the, her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw also for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw. And she drew for one of his camels. Drew for all of his camels. Now notice it doesn't take long for the Lord to answer his prayer. Verse 15, before he had finished speaking, that reminds us of the verse in Isaiah 65, before they finished speaking, I'll, I'll answer their prayer. While he is praying, while he is praying, a relative of Abraham immediately comes out to the well with her jar of water to collect water. Now, the servant doesn't know she's a relative. The narrator, or Moses, the writer, is letting us know because uh, he wants the reader to know, but he doesn't know this. Again, we're, we're let on something that the guy in the story doesn't know. It's kept hidden from him right now. Remember when we were first introduced to Rebecca at the end of Genesis 22? Uh, we found out that Rebecca was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, but there's more information here about Rebecca. We read a description of her physical appearance that says she was very beautiful, the girl was very beautiful, and her marital status, not married. The servant doesn't know this at all. He doesn't know any of this. And he sees Rebecca going to the well and runs out to ask her for water. Now, this is at random, all right? He's prayed. But he doesn't know. He just goes and says, I want to ask this particular woman why. <laughs> I don't know. In, in verse 18, hey, can you have, give me some water? Verse 18, she gladly answers, politely answers. She gives him a drink, but that's not all. Verse 19, notice how she states this. I will draw also for your camels, plural, until they what? Until they finish drinking. Wow. We don't know how much that, we don't know how many gallons we're talking about here, ultimately, but a lot. Servant had not asked her, hey, can you give my Campbell's drink as well? He didn't ask her that. She offers it anyway. She's willing to go the second mile until the thirst of the Campbell's is satisfied. Amazing. Now, obviously, Rebecca is not a lazy woman. She is very industrious. She springs into action. Notice the action verbs here. Look at verse uh, 18. She quickly lowers her jar to give uh, the servant a drink. Verse 20, she quickly emptied her jar. Verse 20, she ran. I'd be running too if I was her in this situation. Verse 20, she drew. She's this whirlwind of activity. I mean, stopping to, to catch her breath at all. Can you see her in your mind's eye darting back and forth <clears throat> like a gazelle? 
lots of speedy movement. What's the servant doing all this time while she's running around? Verse 21. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. The servant's head is on a swivel watching his woman, woman run back and forth from the well to the trough, to the well, to the trough, to the well, to the trough, again and again. Probably getting dizzy from all this motion. But while this is going on, he's gazing at her, speechless, trying to determine, is this the woman that, we've been, that I prayed for? Is this the woman my master sent to get? Is this the woman for Isaac? And so he's trying to discern this. Is, this, is my mission successful? By the way, there's another key word in this, in this chapter, success. Successful, used four different times, verses 21, 40, 42, 56. Success here is defined as finding a bride for Isaac in this case. Notice the servant is not hasty. He's not hasty to make a quick judgment call. He's discerning. He is cautious. He's not foolish. He doesn't say, oh, I know uh, God's in this. I pray for a sign, and here it is, and now it's good to go. He doesn't say any of that at all. He decides to wait a little longer. Maybe ask some questions. Maybe make some inquiries. That's what a, by the way, that's what a discerning believer does. When we are seeking God's guidance, when we're praying uh, for his will, when we're, we're seeking, praying about different issues, uh, we don't want uh, to be hasty or impulsive about making quick decisions or for the church. We don't want to look at just circumstances and say, this is the answer to prayer. Uh, we want to consider circumstances, yes. We want to weigh pros and cons. We want to consider every detail. But we do this with a discerning heart before the Lord. That's how we do it. Look at verse 22. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her wrist wearing ten shekels, weighing ten shekels in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in our, your father's house? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Again, she said to him, We have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshipped the Lord. Now, even with the servant's cautious approach here, he also knows that, this, that his prayer has been answered. He knows this. And so he gets ready. He gets the gifts ready to give her. The, the, the ring, which is actually a nose ring, a gold ring is a nose ring and a couple of wrist bracelets. But he needs to find out one bit of key information before he can continue. So in verse 23, he says, whose daughter are you? Well, that's the, what he's been trying to find out all this time. And uh, by the way, do you have room for us to spend in your house? Can we spend the night in your house? <laughs> Verse 24, the key information is revealed. The woman is from Abraham's relatives. Oh my goodness. This woman, the first one he asks, completes the sign that he asked for, and she's also a relative of Abraham. You can imagine the joy he, as he hears this incredible news, and what does he do? He falls down and worships the Lord. Look at Verse 27. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness, there it is again, and his truth toward my master. As for me, what a great verse this is. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. The servant had prayed in verse 12. Remember verse 12? The Lord would show loving kindness to Abraham, his master. And now in verse 27, he gives praise to the Lord who has shown loving kindness. To Abraham. Prayer answered. And I love the servant's testimony in verse 27. As for me, emphasis, by the way, that word's emphatic. As for me, 
the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my mother's, my master's brother. This is the testimony of the Lord's providential guidance from the servant now, from personal experience. So the Lord's not only working on Abraham's behalf, but he's working on the servant's behalf, who also follows the Lord, because he, he loves the Lord as well as Abraham. The only response to such a recognition of, this, of God's providential leadership is to bow low and worship God. That should be our response, too, as we see the Lord working through our lives, as we see the Lord working through the events of our church. Now, it's not always easy to discern God's leading in our lives as, we, as, as our lives are unfolding, as events are unfolding, as day by day we go day, through day by day. It's not always easy to discern God's providential leading, but as we look back and think carefully, we realize God's been at work all this time. Even in circumstances, we thought, well, this is ridiculous. What am I in this circumstance for? God used that somehow in different ways to mold us into what he wanted us to be through the circumstances to bring all these things about that he wants to accomplish. We may have not understood all this stuff. <laughs> we may have been puzzled at times, but as we gaze at the situation and think about it, we're going to realize God's at work. He is at work in the lives of his people. It's dependence upon the providence of God. Thirdly, the confirmation of God's providence. Confirmation of God's providence. Look at verse 28. Then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring, and he said, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and the place for the camels? So the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels, and he gave straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And he said, speak on. The servant is now in the household. He will tell Rebecca's family what has transpired uh, earlier. Now, two people you need to keep in mind here who are listening to this conversation from the servant are Laban, Rebecca's brother, and, Beth and Bethula, uh, Rebecca's father. Her brother and her father are listening carefully to what this guy is saying. And what he's saying is recorded in verses 34 to 48, which we're not going to take time to read. Now, time doesn't really permit it. It's highly repetitious with some variation. It's very important to read it, but I'm just going to read. Uh, he's retelling the story. Again, that we just read, he's retelling that story. I suggest you read this when you get a chance. It's well worth reading. It's very important. However, it's repetition. So we're going to, for time's sake, we're going to move on. Here's what he says. He tells them his master Abraham sent him to find a bride for Isaac. And he believes he's found that bride in the person of Rebekah. He tells them all about Rebekah watering the camels and all that and how God's answered his prayer. And he goes through all the story that we just read. Now, why is this repetition necessary? Is it really necessary? Well, first of all, it's the word of God. So, it's <laughs> yes, it's necessary. And I think also that this, I thought, why, is this, why did he, does he go through all these details again and we have to read this all over again. And I think the reason is, not only does Rebecca's family need to know the information, but I think this is written for our sake, the readers of Genesis, to emphasize that this whole journey is primar primarily about one thing, and that's this, the providence of God in relation to the promise of God. God's promised Abraham he'll have many descendants, and he's going to make that happen through his providence. 
So he repeats the story. And we need to have that truth of God's providence pounded into our heads, I believe. I don't think we grasp it. I can tell you one thing. I know I don't grasp it. So it's good for me to hear it again and again as we read through the scriptures and you see it again and again in the scriptures. The servant finishes retelling his story and then he asks for a verdict. Look at verse 49. So now, he says to the family, the servant does, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with me, with my master Abraham, tell me. And if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. This guy is all business, the servant, okay? He demands an answer from them. Will you agree to let Rebecca marry my master's son or not? Let me know. Here's the answer, verses 50 and 51. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. The conclusion of these two men who are very close to Rebecca, understand that. This stranger walked into town. The two men who are very close, her father and her brother, they answer, the matter comes from the Lord. <laughs> what, what, what are they saying? They recognize that God is indeed providentially led. This whole circumstance is his doing. They know it. They can't speak good or bad. They can't refute it. They can't contradict it. Uh, Rebecca knows it's true. Laban knows it's true. Bethulah knows it's true. It's the unmistakable hand of God. And so they confirm it. They give their confirmation to what the servant has already experienced. God is clearly led in this whole situation here. And they give their permission for the servant to take Rebecca. That leads us finally to the fulfillment of God's providence in verses 52 to 61. Fulfillment, look at verse 52. When Abraham's servants heard their words, servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver, articles of gold, and garments, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us, maybe even 10 days. Afterwards, she may go. He said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my, my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult with her wishes. Then they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebekah and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And so they, after the confirmation, they, the servant gives them gifts. They spend the night. They're ready to depart the next day. Rebekah's family naturally says, hey, can we spend some more time with it? We want to see our daughter a little longer, maybe 10 days. The servant of Abraham is very efficient, very determined, has no time for delays. He's all about business. He says, no, let's, let's go now. Uh, you've agreed to go. Let's go. The family gives their blessing, and they begin their long camel ride home. Now, having ridden a camel myself, Jimmy, for a very short distance, I can tell you I would not want to ride one for a very long distance. They're not, I don't find them to be fun, or I find them to be a very awkward situation. And sometimes you may get dumped over. Certain camel riders are on the back of the camel. Look at verse 62. Now, Isaac had come from going to Beer Hill High Roy, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. 
Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to her, the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, they're, they're on their way back from this long journey. Isaac has no idea they're on their way back at this point. He decides, I think I'll go out to the, to the field, a field he's familiar with, and meditate. That word is very difficult to define. Maybe meditate, it may mean walk or something like that. Or it could be he's meditating while he's walking. I think it's something like that. Uh, it does seem he's been thinking about things. I can tell you what he's thinking about, by the way. There's no doubt in my mind. He's thinking about his prospective bride. Hey, what's going on up there in Mesopotamia? Is this, is this a, a mission successful or not? What's going on? Where are these people at? Even in this verse, we get a hint, verse 63, of God's providence. As Isaac is in the field at the same time, Rebekah is coming. The Campbells are coming back. Another hint is what it says about both Isaac and Rebekah. Verse 63, uh, Isaac lifted up his eyes and looked. See that phrase? He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Verse 64, Rebekah lift, also lifted up her eyes, and she saw Isaac. Wow, that's a love story made in heaven right there. Definitely is. The next thing you know, they're going to be running towards each other in slow motion. The flowers in the background and soft music playing. Rebecca says, hey, who is this guy? She sees him at a distance. Who is this man, anyway, walking the field, meditating? And the servant who has this entire time referred to Abraham as his master now says, oh, that's Isaac, my master. Your master. That may, this may mean the changing of the guard for Abraham, who, you know, Abraham has been served by this uh, servant all this time. Now he may be serving Isaac as Abraham's getting up in age, his new master. Rebecca puts on her veil because it's proper and back then for a woman, a betrothed woman, to wear a veil. So when the two parties finally meet, the servant once again shares the story with Isaac of how he acquired his bride. He wants to know, well, what happened? Well, you know, this girl, she was, what are my camels? And, all, and he tells her all this information. Sometime later, Isaac marries Rebecca, and they live in his mother's tent. Uh, they're going to show some more slides up there, I guess. They live in his, mother, his mother Sarah's tent. And even though it's been three years, by the way, it's been three years since uh, Isaac's mother has died, Sarah died, he still misses her. You can see that in his verse. He missed her. But he finds consolation in his wife, Rebecca. Now, this too is in, in the providence of God. We think providence is something we just study in a theology book somewhere, but it's more than that. It, awful, it also fulfills the need of the individual. God's working with his people in many ways. We could say it's multipurpose, as a matter of fact. The Lord gets Isaac his wife, so there can be offspring in this land of Canaan, but now Isaac, who lost his mother three years ago in death, still feeling the pain, now he has a wife to comfort him, also included in the providence of God. Two birds with one stone. And guess what? Rebecca has a husband to love her. Notice the words in verse 67. And he loved her. Hasn't known her very long, but he's come to love her. And we know from the New Testament that husbands are to do what? Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Mission completed. He who began a good work is now brought it to completion. 
The Lord will preserve the line of Abraham. Everybody was concerned about that. Abraham was 40 years old. What are you doing, son? I'm going to get you a wife. The Lord's going to preserve the line of Abraham and the Messiah, by the way, through the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, all because of the Lord's providential guidance. Guidance. The Lord does lead his dear children along. We, we may not, we, we often can't see it. We can't see it as we go through our day-by-day experience. We don't see it. But behind the scenes, know this. There is a divine hand at work guiding and leading us through the circumstances of life. And the best thing we can do is to trust the Lord with the totality of our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we're grateful for your word. We pray that uh, as we have studied this section, looked at this section, that you will help us to, to trust in you and your wise providence. We don't understand a lot of things that we face. We pray that we'll know that each step of the way is a part of your plan and help us to trust you in all that we do. Trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not into our understanding. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.